Let's look to the Lord. Father, this morning we come to you. We put aside everything. The cares of the world, the anxieties, the worries, the complacency, whatever it is, Father. We put it aside. Help us, Lord, to keep our hearts, minds, eyes, our ears, our thoughts fixed on you. For you alone have the words of life. You said, Lord, when all these things happen, the end is not yet, but it is the beginning. It is the beginning. We need to be prepared, Lord. What I tell you, you said, I tell all, watch. I pray we will be watchful in the house of God during the ministry of the word of God. That we will not miss what your spirit is saying. Over and over to the churches in the book of Revelation, you said, Lord, those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit says. Give us hearing ears, O Lord. Give us hearing ears, an understanding mind, the will to obey, and the grace to cover it all, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We've been, we've been looking at his kingdom, the perspective of hope. In Corinthians 13, 13, the Lord says about the three most important things in the kingdom as of now. It's faith, hope, and charity, which means agape love, of which he says the greatest is love. Because even where faith fails and hope fails, the Bible says, love never fails. That love of God, and when that love we have for God, and God's love in our heart, it will not fail us. There have been situations where people's faith failed and hope failed, but love never fails. Then God says, only one thing matters, it is faith working through love. We don't need it all up. I mean, Pastor Vijay will put it up, but you should know by now, scripture, Galatians 5, now he will put it up, but I'm talking to you, okay, that you should know scripture by now. Only one thing matters, that is faith working through love. And then, in Hebrews 11 and verse 1, he brings these two entities called faith and hope together. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Meaning you hope for something and there is faith. Faith is now, hope is in the future. So the validity of your faith is your hope. The validity of your faith is hope. How do I know? Because the faith is what we are called to examine. Faith is what we are called to examine. Because ultimately faith is the bridge by which we cross over to the other side. Even grace, genuine grace can only come through faith. It's grace that saves us. But if it is saving grace, I need to have faith. I need to have. It's, it's like money in the world. Money is buying power. There's all kind of things out there in the world. But if you want to buy anything, you need money. The grace of God is sufficient unto everything we will face in this life. But to receive grace, I need faith. I need faith. So if grace is not falling in, flowing in, we need to check our faith. We never have to check on God's side. Is there any money in your bank? We don't have to check. We have to check, do I have the withdrawing capacity? That's one of the primary reasons we come 
to hear the word of God. Because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Faith, genuine faith. So if you check your hope, remember last time we looked and we found in First Corinthians 15 and verse 19 that if only in this life you have hope in Christ, you are the most pitiable of men. Most pitiable. Why? Because hope is connected actually with the coming kingdom coming life. Because if you look, the world says the world and its desires are passing away. So if your faith is on these things, you everybody knows, think about anything new you bought this month. How long did the joy last? How long did the joy last? It didn't last too long. And it didn't last at all if somebody didn't notice it. When you bought it, there was some joy. And when nobody complimented you on that, all that joy also was gone. The things of this world do not have the capacity to give us lasting joy. So God says, if your hope are in Christ or for those, he will add all the things we need. He said, I will add it in its own time. Okay, but Lord, when will he add for you? Depends upon what you're asking for. Lord, I want lots of money. He says, wait till you are 77 and all your teeth have fallen off. Then I will give it to you. Otherwise, you will take it and destroy your life. I love you too much to give you that kind of money. Because I have seen you, how you spend 10 rupees. He's a father. It's a father. Okay. If you want more stuff from God to use for his kingdom, grow up. The only thing God asks is, grow in grace and in the knowledge of God, everything that is needed for this life. So please remember this. If your hope is wrong, your faith is wrong. We will be pitiable. In eternity we may make it because we just believed God for his salvation, but we will be pitied by all the others by saying, how did you end up here with nothing? This is a place of plenty. This is a place of rewards, eternal rewards. How did you end up with nothing? But you had so much in the world, God said. You had only hope in this world and used faith to withdraw for things of the world, but you did not send anything upstairs. So be very, very careful about this thing because hope is always related to our expectations. The question is, what are our expectations? What are our expectations? And our faith is the evidence of our expectations. That's why Hebrews 11 is a startling chapter. When you see unbelievably blessed people in terms of material wealth living in situations as if they were strangers. Because they were looking forward to something. You are promised the promised land. This is for you and your descendants forever. And he lives like a wanderer. And the only thing he owns in that land is a grave plot in the graveyard for his wife. The Bible says in Acts chapter 7, if I am right, verse 4 or 5, he owned nothing. But he was content. Because he was looking forward to something that was coming. He saw a city whose builder was God. Okay, So our hope, it is not that we shouldn't desire things of the world. That's not what God is saying. But he says, first put your perspective right. If your perspective is right, then when I add things, it does not destroy you. Your eyes are always there. Your focus is always there. So these things are used without being destroyed. But if your eyes are here, you will lose. It will destroy you. That's what happened to Israel. So keep that in mind. So hope is very, very important for a child of God. In Proverbs 13 and verse 12, this is what it says about hope. 
Hope that is, oh no, hope that is deferred. I got it wrong. 13, 12, not 12, 13. 13, 12. Hope that is deferred. Okay? Makes the heart sick. Makes the heart sick. If it is postponed, if it is postponed. That's why we have to be very careful about what we ask from God. Sometimes he refuses to answer. And then we become miserable. We become, Lord, why didn't you answer? Because he said, that's not my will for you. And this will destroy you. And it makes you sick. Your heart here is your spirit. And if your spirit is sick, ultimately it permeates into your entire being. Because the core of your being is called your heart or your spirit. So hope deferred, postponed. So hope is not a small thing. It's a huge, huge thing in the kingdom of God. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now when it comes to salvation, when it comes to salvation, let me explain to you. One should never have hope in oneself. When it comes to salvation, in your works, in your integrity, in your character, in your, you will never fit the bar. Never ever have hope in yours. So this is a, this is a fallacy, the fault line of the pit of religion. In religion, your hope is in your works. Why? I mean, honestly, even Christians, I've been in so many places where sometimes you have a home Bible study in between meetings and there's a bunch of Christians whom the neighbors have invited. They're all Christians. Protestant or Catholic. And just to start the ball rolling, let's say 15 people are sitting, and I ask each of them, uh, why do you think you will make it to heaven? Nine out of ten will say because of their good works. So your hope is in your good works. That's the stupidest thing you can ever. Because you do not know what heaven is like and what the demands of heaven is like. The perfection of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of that kingdom. None of us can meet it. And never hope in yourself because this man in uh, in Romans chapter 7 and 18 and 19, this is the man who says according to the law he was blameless. This is how he realizes he comes to this. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, my old nature, before nothing good dwells. It's true about all of us. In me, in you, there is nothing good. Absolutely nothing good. Even if the act is good, the attitude will be wrong. If the act and the attitude are right, the motivation will be wrong. And if the act, the motivation and the attitude is right, where it originates from the old man, the man is wrong. There is no way. There is no way. Our works will qualify for us because we have to come to this realization every day. There is nothing good in me. Though I do not hope in myself. I do not hope in myself. My hope is in Christ and Christ alone. If you come to verse 24 and 25, who will, oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who will deliver me? So my hope and your hope for salvation is only in the absolute total work of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. I trust your work alone, Lord, from the beginning of my life to the last day of my life. I do not put hope. Do not get into that into your head. 
that I think I'm a little good enough to skirt God's plans. We'll never be good enough. Only the goodness of Christ will take us in. So be very, very careful. Very, very careful. So real faith is faith in God for our salvation. Faith in God and God alone for our salvation. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 to 23, it talks about how we have to be steadfast. You who once were alienated and enemies to your mind by the wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless, above reproach in his sight. If indeed, mark that, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. What is the hope of the gospel? If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. That's the only way. Steadfastly continue in that my faith is in Christ, my hope is in Christ, only in Christ and in Christ alone. Continue as days go by. Either you fall or you stand, your faith is only in Christ. When you fall, get up and go back. If you stand, beware lest you fall. Steadfast, continue in the hope of the gospel. Because you know what? The enemy will come and try to mess up our minds. And we have to be very, very careful about it. Because, you know, a few good works, pride comes in. That's what happens. Self-confidence comes in. You start putting your faith. Okay, One of my, I'm not mentioning, one of my in my family back in Kerala, when I was saved young and I was quite zealous, I tried to witness to that family member. And I said, you need to be, have you put your trust in Jesus? Are you born again? And she was flaring and said, don't you know what I do? Don't you know what I do? Meaning, your work. We automatically will make it to heaven because all our works are good. These are regular churchgoers. Regular churchgoers. I remember I was sharing with a child who has been coming to church for the past few weeks about my friend in Iflu. She was from a Tamil Brahmin background. Very, very nice girl. Not mentioning the name publicly. But uh, uh, she told me, James, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I heard about Jesus. I believe in him. I love him. But James, you know what the problem I have? I have only one problem. That to receive him, I have to accept I am a sinner. But my issue is that I am not a sinner. I said, you have never lied? She said, never. These are real righteous people from Hindu background. Never. She said, never disobeyed your parents? She said, never. Can you think about anything that you have done wrong? She said, never. What do you answer? At that time, I did not know born in sin, shaped in iniquity and all, which came later. So I said, okay. God has to. One day she told me, James, I believe. I believe in Jesus. And I believe him as my only savior. Nothing else. I said, what happened? She said, I had a vision. In the vision I saw in Timothy Ramanathan in her righteousness and Christ next to her. And when I saw myself next to him, I realized what a wretched sinner I am. What a wretched sinner I am. 
So our problem is we are comparing ourselves with others. God says, you want to compare the standard, my standard to reach, enter into heaven is my son. Is my son. If you're like him, you can get him. If you're not like him, have, cry out to him for mercy. He will take my righteousness, put it on you by faith, and you make it. So do not be moved from the hope that is in the gospel. There are two hopes. Connected with salvation. One is the hope of salvation, which is, I am in Christ. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That is the hope of salvation. Then there is another hope, which is you find in Colossians chapter 1, 27, 28. 27, 28. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of... So when you reach eternity, there is another hope. It is not a hope of salvation. What will be my glory? So, my hope of salvation is, I am in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in My hope of glory is Christ in me. Are you getting it? Christ. How much has Christ grown and taken over? Accordingly, you will receive your glory and your rewards. If you enter into heaven just as a child, you receive nothing. Because children don't receive anything. Though you are royal priesthood, because of the blood lineage, you are of the king's son or daughter. But you receive nothing. You have to be under guardians. Because, so, hope of salvation is, I am in Christ. Hope of glory is, Christ in me. And if you look at verse 28, Him we preach. See, we preach Christ. Him we preach. Because whether it is for hope of salvation or hope of glory, it is Christ. How do you know you are saved? I am in Christ. I am hidden in Christ. I am not projecting anything else. Only Lord, when you look at me, look at Christ. Don't look at me. Actually, put it in very simple terms, when you stand before God is, whether you are in the sun or whether you are in the sin. Sun or sin. If you are in the sun, you are free. If you are not in the sun, you are in your sin. Then you are answerable. So if you are in the sun, you step aside, go to another judgment. There he will realize how much of the sun is in you. How much of the sun is? How much of Christ have you allowed to take over? How less? That's what John the Baptist says. He must increase and I must decrease. But Paul goes further. He says, I no longer live. Christ, imagine his confidence of his crown of righteousness. Why? I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. Christ is always crowned with the crown of righteousness. If I look inside me, there is no Paul, only Christ. Therefore, my confidence, I know I will receive the crown of righteousness because why? He is crowned with many crowns. Get these pictures, pictures, pictures in our mind. So, you know what? We've been looking at people. We need living patterns. Living and those who have passed away. We need both. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, while he's living, he puts himself across. Okay? Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Okay? And we know 
in the world. If you if you are a cricketer like Pranith or anything, you can ask him when he was growing up, who was his model? Cricketer. Everybody has their heroes. That's why your hairstyle keeps changing, your clothes keep changing. And because we do not know the world, we do not know according to whose hair did your hair change. Okay, but we all were there once upon a time. Okay, People have their role models in the world. Any sport, any industry, anything, they have somebody, they pattern themselves. In the kingdom of God, we need the patterns which are there before us in the word of God and in church history. We also need living patterns among our midst. So that people will look back, look up and say, I want to be like that brother. I want to be like this sister in this area. I want to be like that. To be kind like that person. To be loving like that person. To be patient like that person. We need living patterns. And that's what he's talking about. You have us as a pattern. And basically in a family for the children, the parents are the pattern. They model Christ's life in the home. They are the pattern. And they look at it, they don't have to hear anything. Because they don't hear, half the time they don't hear, and the other half they hear, they don't don't understand. But they watch. They watch. They watch. All of you had little children who are growing up. All of you have a picture of your child wearing your big shoes and walking around. What are they trying to do? They're just trying to imitate your steps. So Paul will say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We need patterns. We need patterns. In Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2, we have this cloud of witness. Great cloud of witness. That's the whole chapter 11. All names are not mentioned. He says, I have no time to mention all the names. He talks about, if I were to mention the names. A whole list of patterns. Cloud of witnesses. And then when you come to verse 2, the perfect witness Looking unto Jesus. Looking. The title for today's message is Looking unto Jesus. After you have run out of all these witnesses we've been looking at yesterday, if you were there, it was a powerful message on Enoch. If you want to be rapture ready, look at Enoch. Because he was rapture ready. Look at him. Learn from him. How do you get ready to be taken away? What do you learn from this man? So, but above all, Above all, looking unto Jesus. So the first question, when you look unto Jesus, we have to look at what he was and what he became. What he was. Because that's what you look at. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. And then John 1 and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. This is who he was. And then verse 14 says, something happened. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He dwelt among us and he became the perfect, all other were imperfect patterns. He became the perfect pattern for us to understand God the Father. He became the perfect. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and full of truth. It's not an easy verse. Think. Think carefully. I'll give you four verses. Okay. One is Hebrews 1.5. And then 5.5. 5, Acts. But we'll stay here until we go there. Okay. We'll go to skip at John 1.14. 
Acts 13.33, okay? Yeah, can I have John uh, 1.14? Keep this in mind, okay? There was something that happened in eternity. The triune God, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, the God the Holy Spirit. There was a day when God said, I have begotten you. He was not begotten before that. But for our sake, he was begotten. The eternal God became begotten. Now you go to Acts and the verses I gave you. Acts 1, 5. Sorry, Hebrews 1, 5 and Hebrews uh, 5, 5. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son today? So there was a day. Nobody knows it's a mystery. There was a day when God said, I have begotten you. The eternal God, existing, who was from eternity to eternity, came in the flesh and he said, I have begotten you. For our sake. It's not a small thing, it's a huge, huge thing for God. He was begotten. This day, I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall to me be a son. There was a day. It's not written just once. It's written in many places. Five, uh, five, five. Also, also, Christ did not glorify himself to become a high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son. Today, I have begotten you. Mystery of God. We do not know how it happened. We know it happened, but it's a mystery. If you go to Acts 13 and verse 33, God has fulfilled this for us. Their children, in that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So if you go to Psalm 2 and verse 7, he says over there, today I have begotten you. When you look unto Jesus, we have to look as to what he was and what he became for us, the author and the finisher of our faith. He was the eternal God. He was in the beginning with God. And he was God. All things were created by him, for him, through him. There was nothing that was not created. And then one day God says, I have begotten you. I have become your father and you have become my son. So we look at him. Because if you only look at him as the eternal God, we will not be able to understand. So we have to look at him as the begotten son. That is how he becomes the author and the finisher of our faith. What he became for our sake. So what is true salvation? Actual salvation. What is true salvation? John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. As many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. When he believed in his name, what happened? Look at verse 13. Who were born. We were born. Not of the blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of... So there was a day in your life and my life, 1983, the month of October last week, when I believed in him. God spoke into my life, which I didn't hear, but he spoke into my life. He says, today I have begotten you. You are my son. I am your father. Born of the spirit. That day is important. Because that's the same thing he's replicating in all our lives. All our lives. 
So salvation is not based on what you think or what has this taken place. Have you been born of God? Born of God. Turn with me to First John chapter 5 verse 1 and 5 verse 18. 5 verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. It's a birth. You're born of God. And everyone who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. As you grow, you learn. As you are born, you learn to grow. You grow. Allow Christ to grow in you and you know how to keep yourself. And the wicked one has no power over you. And as you grow older and older in the Lord or the Lord grows in you, the devil hardly can do anything to you because you should come to a point where you are able to say, the ruler of this world has come but he found nothing in me. He found nothing in me. You are moving towards that. We That is what actual salvation is. 1 John 5 and verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. You are begotten of God. The seed is incorruptible. How can you sin? It's the old man who sins. That's why the old man has to die. The new man cannot sin because he's born of God. He's born of God. He is free from sin nature. He cannot sin. So understand what salvation is. Looking unto Jesus. He's our pattern. From the beginning of our faith, the author of our faith, the beginning of our faith. He's the Alpha and the Omega of our salvation. Our beginning is that one day he was begotten. One day we were all born again. We were born of flesh. By the will of our father and mother, we were born in the flesh. But one day when we heard the gospel, we repented, we believed and asked Jesus to come in. Something happened inside. We were born again. It's just like the baby conceived in the womb. The baby does not have much awareness of it. But if you give the natural things the baby needs, it will keep on growing and growing. One day it will be manifested, the child, in the same way. Once you're born again, you do what the Bible says to do. If that born again baby is fed, nurtured, cared, one day the world will know you are different. You are not of this world. You don't belong here. You're funny. Sometimes you look like the world, but you're also not of the world. That's what all Christians are actually split personalities. They have that world, the old man and the new man. But God is trying to destroy that old man. He's not trying to integrate, okay? He's trying to destroy the old man and allow the new man to grow. So there is Jesus. We have to look unto Jesus for everything, for our salvation, to really understand salvation. We have to look unto Jesus. He's the perfect witness. John chapter 1 and verse 18. Okay, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. See, we need to understand John 14 and verse 6. Okay, And we'll come back to this. John 14, verse 6. Yeah. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. He's not the destination. The destination is the Father. He's here to take us to the Father. Okay. I, this, this verse is so important to me because before the COVID a few years back, I was at the 50th uh, anniversary of a church in up in the mountains in Sikkim. 
And uh, the final day's meeting, it was in Nepali, and the final day was in English. So all the pastors were called. So I finished preaching. An old, very senior pastor was over there. So he looked at me and he says, Pastor James, if you are free next year, will you come for our three-day anniversary? We have every year. I said, I am free, you are free, the Lord hasn't come, we both are alive, I will come. No issues. Okay. And I have never seen him before. I have never seen his church before. The next year I went over there. Okay. Now it's huge, massive church. And they have over 150 churches in that state and other places. And this is the annual convention, three days, with all their pastors and elders and everything. For them itself, it is not enough place to sit. So it was packed. And I had gone there without knowing what I should preach. I mean, you need to understand God. He sends you to places and does not give you what you have to say. And I entered the church for the first day meeting morning. As I entered, at the screen it was written, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And as soon as I saw that, God said, for the next three days, you will preach from this verse. Preach from this. So this is a verse that is, because you know, when you go for such kind of meetings, when God doesn't tell you what you're going to preach, actually panic starts settling in. But these are not congregation, these are pastors and elders. Okay. But understand the point over there. He is not the destination. He has come us to take to the Father. The Father is the destination. The end purpose of salvation is we reach the Father's bosom. He who was in the Father's bosom is in the Father's bosom, declares the Father to us. Before Jesus came, when Lazarus died, he went to another father's bosom. You could only go to Abraham's bosom. Couldn't go to the father's bosom. For that, Jesus had to come, take captivity captive to take them to the father's bosom. Abraham was a temporary state. But the eternal one is God the Father. So our eternal destination is to make it to our Father, to reach to our Father. So we need to look unto Jesus. Unto Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has declared to us the Father. Declared to us the Father. One of the first things we need to keep meditating and understanding is, what is the nature of the eternal Father? Two, what is the nature of the Son's relationship to the Father? Because we are all sons and daughters. Who is this Father? Who is this Father? And what is the Son, let us say child, because two genders are here, son or daughter. What is the child's relationship to the father? He came to show us that. Show us the father and how we should relate to the father. That's why Bible says, look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. In John chapter 8 and verse 34, to 36. He says this, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. The son came first to free us from sin, the penalty of sin. 
And after that, he is delivering us from the power of sin. And as we deliver more and more delivered from the power of sin, we are experiencing the power of sonship because we are abiding with the Father. That's the power of sonship. That's what he's teaching us. How to stay with the Father as I stayed with the Father. I was on earth, but I was with the Father all the time. I was always with the Father. How? Because I overcame the power. I was not a slave. We are slaves. We are slaves of sin. Sons and slaves. Sometimes we are sons. Sometimes we are slaves. Slave of sin, son of God, daughter of God. But God says, that's not what my son came for. My son came that he will show you how to abide with the father. Listen carefully, okay? Don't lose track. In the Sermon on the Mount, probably the greatest passage in the entire Bible. Okay, You have three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Three chapters. That is the core, the essence of what a child of God is. The Sermon on the Mount. Six times Jesus uses the word God. Seventeen times he uses the term Father. God and Father. God has Father and Father has God. To get this both very, very clear in our heads. Because he has come. To reveal the Father as God. And God has Father. We'll just look at a few verses and continue. We'll go to Matthew 6 and verse 25 to 33. Familiar, but in light of what I have said, look at it. 6, 25 to 33. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. That's our main concern. Why? Because we do not have control over it. That's why if you have control, those who have more control worry less. But when that control is gone, they also revert to worry. Worry is the old man's default setting. Do not worry about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into bonds, yet your heavenly father. He brings that term. Heavenly Father feeds them. He he doesn't say, yet their Heavenly Father. He says, no, your Heavenly Father, their Creator, your Father feeds them. I am their Creator, but I am your Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than them? He picks up the most cheapest of the birds. That is a sparrow. Most common, most cheap. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? If this was true, if you could add stature by worrying, we'll all be six foot seven, seven feet giants in the land. We'll say, how did you grow so long? By worrying. Actually, we shrink by worrying. Our back starts stooping, head is down, our height goes down, right? Which of you? So yeah, let's go to the next one. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of this. Now if God, now he brings a term God, not the father clothes the grass, no. 
God clothes the grass of the field, which is today is, tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Why? Because they do not know God. And they do not know God as their father. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. It is in relation to that he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So he brings two things. One, he introduces God as uh, uh, God as father or him as God. God means he's absolutely sovereign. Absolutely sovereign. He can do anything and everything so you don't have to worry. The power, the authority and the, the sovereignty of God. This is who God is. I mean, um, we won't waste that kind of, like if we are, we are talking about resources and time, because we are constrained by all these things. Time is a constraint, resources are constrained, okay? We will not spend that kind of time and resources to clothe a lily in the field, which is here today, or the grass which is here today, gone tomorrow. I mean, most of the flowers fade in a day or two. But if you look at the intricacy of it, you wouldn't waste that kind of time. You try to paint a flower looking at it, how much hours, how many hours does it take you? So God is talking about it's nothing for him. The entire creation is nothing for him. Look at his power. He is God. Then look at his care for you. He is your father. Your care, how much he cares for his children. Because you need both of this. God in his power and God as your father in his care, in your detail. The Bible talks about it so many places, you know. The thoughts that I have towards you cannot be counted. I have engraved you in the palms of my hand. No, all these verses in Matthew 6, the beloved of the Lord writes upon the care he bestows upon us. So Jesus is coming and showing us the father. Do you know your father? He's saying. He's absolute, all-powerful, always in control. Never have microsecond in human time has gone when he's not in control. And also, he gives you absolute security. If this is the attention he pays on every single sparrow, we cannot count them, maybe billions of sparrows, and every sparrow is numbered, and he knows what is happening with them every minute of their life. He knows every blade of grass. He knows every flower. If that is how he cares for them as the creator, how much more for you as children? That's what he's talking about. The power of God and the love of the Father. He says, meditate upon these things. He came to show us. So you know what Jesus came to show? The love of the Father. And he says, when you believe in the work that I do, do you know what you actually become? You become a child of God. If you look at John, 1 John chapter 3 and verses 1 to 3, if I'm right. Okay. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. You know what? The entire angelic realm is shocked because they were created. They were not begotten. They are also called sons of God in the book of Job, but in virtue of creation, not in virtue of begotten. 
We were born of God. They were created by God. And they are shocked. These set of people, one angel can kill all of us. Just blowing on us. And yet you call them your children. And you love them the way you never loved us. They are shocked. They are not jealous. But the devil of course is jealous. And the satanic realm is jealous. That's why they keep attacking us all the time and puts doubts into our minds either about the power of God or the love of God. This is how he attacks. He attacks in so many ways. It's all about God, the Father. They are shocked that we should be called the children of God. The shock. And that's the truth. We are the children of God. This is the first thing you should understand. Yeah. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. (laughs) Don't look at yourself in the mirror, me, a child of God. He says, you have no clue. No clue. You have no clue clue what you will be one day. Don't look at the outward and say, you know what, we... He says, you don't know. But we know when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope, see, this hope has to be there before you will take sanctification very seriously. We just discard sanctification ah, later. But the problem is we don't have this hope. And one day I will be like him. How much I can be like him, I want to be in this life. So that when that day is revealed, I will be found as close to him, which was humanly possible. So please remember this. The first thing, you should have in your mind before you can. I am a son. If you are born again, what are you? You are a son or you are a daughter. Where does your value come? Your value comes only because of a relationship. Nothing else. In the world, it does not come that way. Your value comes because of your efforts. In your company, most valuable employee of the month. Why? Oh, because you are related to the manager? No, because of what you did. Because of what you did. You have to get this in your head very carefully. Very, very carefully. You have to let me get my stick. Not to beat you. Don't worry. It's my illustration. Okay. Okay. You have to get your value right. Now, look at this crumbled piece of paper. Okay. Okay. It's not an Indian paper. It's another nation's paper. Okay. Now, take take this. Okay. Now, I'm throwing it to the ground. Next, where is it? I'm beating it. I am stamping on it. Now you take it. Now what this is? It's a one dollar bill. I can stamp on it. I can spit on it. I can beat it up. Its value doesn't change. It doesn't matter what happens to you in life. Your value doesn't change because you are a child of God. You are not defined by what you go through. You are defined by who you are. You can still take it and get 75 rupees for this. Oh, it has been stamped. This value has gone down. I didn't use the Indian one because somebody will go and say he stamped on Gandhi. They are anyway stamping on Washington over there. So I thought better use Washington than Gandhi. You have to be wise as a serpent when dealing with the world, you know. They are breaking down poor Washington statues and monuments and all that. No, it's okay to stamp on Washington. People seeing things will I'm a Democrat. I am not. Just an illustration. Do you see? Do you understand? Because this is how you look at yourself. You look in the mirror. You look at your experiences. You look at what people said to you. What happened to you in office. What happened to you on, at home. What happened through your life. You devalue yourself, which is the lie of the enemy. Your value in eternity comes from only one fact. 
you are the child of God. Nothing else. Nothing else. It's a liberating thing. If I'm a child of God, I'm a child of God. My value comes from a relationship. My value does not come from a performance in the world. Your value comes from your performance. Okay? It's a liberating thing. Second thing you need to know about the father as God. This is God as father. Now you have to know the father has God. Jesus came to know God as father. And the father has God. So it did not matter what people said about him. What people did to him. They invited him or cancelled him. It did not matter to him. You know why? Because he knew who his father was. The only thing he was consistent is that. And he says, my father has never left me. So the approval of men did not matter to him because he knew, I am, I know whose I am. I know whose I am. You need to know whose you are. Whose you are. Because that is a liberating thing. Now when you come to, now your father has God. We know, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 26 and then Psalm 24 verse 1. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Now we are only talking about planet earth because we live here. We are not talking about the rest of the universe. Let us come down down to earth. Okay. The earth and the fullness belongs to God. Go to Psalm 24 and verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. The world and those who dwell therein. So Jesus is telling something about his father. God. He's the absolute sovereign owner of everything. He owns everything. That is what is called lordship. Sovereign. What is the meaning of the term sovereign? Meaning all kings were not sovereign. Some kings were sovereign. He owned everything. Life of power or power of life and death were in their hands. They owned everything. The people owned nothing. The king owned everything. So he is sovereign. The first thing Psalm 21 says, the earth is the Lord's. Because earth means every king has territory, boundaries. But when it comes to God, the whole earth is his. The whole earth is his territory. Second thing, the fullness, all its fullness, all the resources on earth are also his. That's why the psalmist still says, so Haggai will say, the gold is mine, the silver is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills is mine. It's all, we think we own nothing. We own nothing, it's all his. If you believe you own something, go to heaven or hell and find somebody who took something from here. We own nothing. He owns everything. Now he's introducing the father has God. God, his territory, the ends of the earth. He owns everything. The world, when he says the world, he says it is the mindset. He says it doesn't matter what ideologies are floating around. One day suddenly, according to Revelation eleven fifteen, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And one day, the entire ideology will change. It is the gospel. It is the mind of God. So the earth, territory, 
the resources, the mindset, and ultimately, and those who dwell therein. That's me. Just remember that. We own nothing. He owns everything. Because this is where our problem comes. This is our problem comes. He owns everything, including us. God is Lord. When Jesus, through the incarnation, when he came, if you go to Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5 to 7, what he did, he gave up ownership. He's teaching us children because he said, I became a son. I'm teaching you how to look at your father, God. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So if he is God, in the form of God, he is equal with God. He is the owner of everything. The earth is his, its fullness, and everybody in it. But what did he do? but made himself of no reputation. He gave up ownership. He took his hands off. He took off ownership. And he took up sonship. He took up sonship. When he became a son, he's not an owner. He says, I'm just a steward. My father owns everything. Once upon a time, I was the everlasting father. Now I am the everlasting son. That's why I say, I will say, unto us the son is born, his everlasting father. The father and the son were the same. But now he's the only begotten son. Why? For our sake. In essence, he hasn't changed. He's still God. But he did something for our sake. Show us how liberty comes. How do you walk in this life? How do you have the hope of glory? What happens? How do you have the hope of glory? He has shown us the way to liberty. How can a person be free in this world? How do you do? You give up ownership. And take up sonship. Take up stewardship. Steward owns nothing. The owner owns everything. The lie of the devil in the garden was to tell us, you can become the owner. You can become the owners. If you eat of this tree, you will become like. That is what he wanted to be there. He wanted to be the owner. But God said, you cannot be the owner. You are a created being. How can you own? There's only one owner. That is God. The triune God is the owner. They created everything. They own everything. We do not have perfect knowledge to own anything. So we are only stewards. But he lied to us. And he said, you know what? You can own. You shall become like God. If you ever want to claim ownership over anything, the only things you and I own is our sins. Nothing else. Even that he took from us. I said, I'll take ownership of also that. Because you can't own anything. Even if you own your sins, you will go to hell. If you own your righteousness, you will go to hell. So I will take ownership for everything and release you to sonship. You may be thinking, what's pastor saying? I'm telling you, 99.99% of 
of our problems individually, families, office, church, everywhere is a problem with ownership. Honors will always have problems. He liberated us from the burden of ownership because if you own it, you have to keep it. And we can't keep nothing. You can't keep nothing. The problem in marriages is because some husbands think they own their wives and some wives think they own their husbands. And the problem in homes is that parents think they own their children and the children think they own their parents. Nobody owns anybody. God owns everybody. Before Abraham could be finally certified as a father of righteousness, there is a question. Who owns your son? You or me? It's a question of ownership. Who owns your son? Take your son. Your only son. Go to the mountain, I will show you. And offer him as a sacrifice. That is a deciding day. Do you own or I own? And he gets up early in the morning and he goes. And everywhere is an issue with ownership. And not with stewardship. Because your, your reaction to ownership and your reaction to stewardship are different. Let us say, let us say a simple say, let us talk about your car. You are driving. Somebody scratched it. Okay. As a steward, it is one thing to be upset. As an honor, it is another way you react. Most people react as an honor. How many times I have to tell my dear driver, faithful driver, I said, wait, wait, leave it alone. Can you change it? No. He said, no, you are ready to get and beat up that guy. Okay. I said, you won't understand my God. My God died for him and not for the car. You won't understand what I'm saying. Just get in. Leave it alone. <laughs> Calm down. Get in. Because you will start a fight. Then he will hit you. You will hit you. Then everybody is sitting in the police station. Or what? A scratch. We need to understand. Stewardship is one thing. In your home zone, a glass breaks, a plate breaks. How do you react to the child? Are you teaching the child stewardship? Or you are upset because without unconsciously the honor was reacting. We own nothing. And God allows damages in our life to see how we react so that we will know we are acting as an honor or as a steward. Steward maintains. He's very, very careful because he knows one day he will have to give accounts. The honor's reaction is different. And you have to ask always in life, how do I react? As an honor or as a steward? So even as a parent, you can be upset with your child in two different ways. As a steward or as an owner. We don't own our children. Through the prophet Isaiah, the God said, the children you bore unto me. You are just the channel, but the children are mine. They are not yours. That's why we don't release our children. The only day we release our children is once in our lifetime on dedication day. After that, we take them back. We don't own them. We steward them. We steward them. This will set you free. Because the problem is, the devil put that lie in and we are trying to own things. We are to own. And patenting is a huge thing in the world. It's mine. If God were to patent, what will be left for us? What is left for us? Luke chapter 15. Verses 11 to 12. A certain man. Okay. 
If you don't like it, if your gender is getting ruffled, a certain woman had two sons. You didn't like it? Two daughters. Whichever way you want. Pastor Vijay has two daughters. Okay, And uh, there are lots of... Samir has two daughters. So if daughters are feeling bad, we'll put you there. Okay? A certain man had two daughters. Two sons. Whatever. Just see your, see ourselves in the picture. A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. We are not getting into that story. We know that story. Right? You know what are the words associated with the boy who took the money and went? Riotous living. Went far. Wasted. Spent all. Lack. In want. Which he never experienced in his father's house. You know when all these things came into his life? When he took ownership. The minute he took ownership and went out, he went far away. When you take ownership, you go far away from the real owner. Cain turned and went far away from the... Because I am an owner. I am not a son. I am not a steward. I am an owner. Everybody who becomes an owner will go further and further away from God. Because you cannot stay near the real owner. Because he will always convict, his presence convicts you. But as you go farther and farther away, all these adjectives will be prodigal living, riotous living, waste, you know, lack, or want, all. It's famine. In so many different ways it comes. You know why? Because you owned, which was not yours. That is where the trouble came. You shall freely eat. Adam and Eve were told, but you own nothing. You shall tend and keep. That means you are a steward. If they own the garden, can God drive them out? No, they didn't own it. You own nothing. Our fundamental issue is with ownership. Because in the kingdom, independence from God the Father, it's a roadway to destruction. In the Kine kingdom, you own nothing. The king owns everything. You are a steward of his property. You tend and you keep. I don't know why this message suddenly came up, but if you look back in the last 10 days, all the messages were on stewardship of time, of soul, of body, of spirit, stewardship. And then... I get this message last night, this morning. We are stewards. And Jesus came to show us, how do you relate to God as father? And how do you relate to this father as a son who is the actual steward? Because the entire purpose of salvation is to make us sons and daughters to the father. And we don't get it because the most liberating, freeing thing God did for you and me is to take the burden of ownership. Because if you own something, those who live in rented apartments, they maintain everything. Do you have to worry? I want my own independent house. After that you worry. 
Plumbing goes there, you have to plumber. Electricity goes, you have to call the electrician. Cockroach gets in, you have to call the termite fellow. Because you own it. You own it. Though we don't own it, but we still believe we own it. And you suddenly realize, yes, there is a freedom with it, but along with it comes the burden of maintaining. So if you own your life, you will be left alone to maintain it. And the prodigal son realized, I cannot maintain my life. I cannot maintain my life. This is where I will end. God released us from the burden of ownership. And Jesus came to us and showed us how you can live absolutely free as a son of this father. Now, I will give you a simple example which you will understand. We are sitting in church, right? From 9 to 12. Or 9 to 12.30, this place we have hired. We have many activities that goes on, the setting of the church, the sound, the music, the Sunday school, everything that happens. But you know what? The burden is mine, not yours. You know that? The burden is mine, not yours. If anything goes anywhere, they will not come to you, they'll come to me. Nobody has been ever been questioned, why is the sound loud? Why, is, why did the children spill things outside? Why are the Sunday school children running outside? Everything comes to me. You know why? Because you don't have the burden of ownership. I would like to give you my seat for one day. One day. One day. To handle the pressure of all the churches. One day. And see if you will survive. I'm talking at a small earthly level. And God has no issues with handling his whole creation. No burden, no sweat off his back. It's not that we are so terrible and he's so helpless he doesn't sleep and slumber. He doesn't even, doesn't bother me at all. He's always in control. The burden of ownership has been taken away from us. The first thing which you need to realize, everything belongs to my father. I am a son, I am a daughter, and I have to learn how to be a steward. The freedom of a steward. From the freedom of an honor. The question is that there was an steward who listened to a lie and became, tried to become the honor. And the first thing when the honor comes is the steward runs and he's hiding. His name is Adam. Till yesterday, he was honor, and I am son, I am daughter. They had a good time every morning. They spent time together. Please, you need to understand, understand. It says in the cool of the evening, Jesus used to come. God used to come to fellowship with them. But the evening and the morning was the first day. That's the way it is. So they begin their day with God, and then they go tend and keep. That's the way it should be. Okay? No issues. You are the honor. We are the stewards. Tell us, how do you like our tending? How do you like our watching? Is there anything wrong? Daddy, tell us. But you are the boss. You own it all. One day they tried to become honor. Because the devil came and said, you can become honor like God. The next thing when the honor comes, they are hiding. And the question the honor asks is, where are you? Where are you? I am ashamed. I am afraid. Next thing he asks them, the question is, 
Who told you? Who told you? It's an important question. Who told you? Because there is a voice in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. It, that voice is first illegitimate. Second, it's unsolicited. Be very careful. This is how the enemy comes in. Because now we have phones, you have internet, you have TV, everything. Unsolicited, unillegitimate voices speak into your lives. Can be good or bad. If somebody tries to speak into my life, it's basically, it is phones, TV, at least you have control over your channels. But into my phone, I look at the person and then I will ask, is he a legitimate voice? Is he a solicited voice? If not, I don't even read. I will not let anybody who is not legit or unsolicited to speak into my life because there is a voice and there are voices which are legit. You know why people run into trouble? Because illegitimate voices and unsolicited voices speak into your life. And God is saying, who told you? Who told you? Third question, what have you done? Because everything that you do is based on something somebody has told you. Father, give me my part of my... Who told you? Your friends? Your friends? Who told you this? This man is not going to die early. He's going to live long. What kind of a buddhu are you living with your father? No, you should take your property and start an industry of your own. What can, who told you? Who told you ownership is better than stewardship? Who told you? There are voices that speak to us. And we have to be very, very careful. Is it legit? Is it solicited? Because these voices, when you listen, you know what? They take ownership of your mind. Now they own your mind. Why do you think the way you think? It's because somebody owns your mind. The Bible says, have this mind that was in Christ Jesus. Who owned his mind? God owned his mind. Therefore, God owned him. If God doesn't own your mind... Somebody else owns your mind. That's why we are looking at the stewardship of your soul. Who owns your will? Who owns your feelings? Are you a steward? Hearing the voice of God and allowing that voice to regulate your mind, your feelings, your will, or it is some other voice. Some other voice. Because if it is the voice of God, it always brings righteousness. And it is established in peace and in joy. It's internal. It always brings righteousness. Because the voice of God will always bring righteousness. Because the scepter of his kingdom is righteousness. But if it does not bring righteousness, then there is no peace. There is no joy. Happiness can change. Joy is lasting. Happiness is connected with things that are outside, but it doesn't shake you because you know whose voice. That's what Paul is saying. I know in whom I have believed. Paul, where are you? Jail. How long? Many years. Has anybody visited you? No, just one man. You didn't used to plant all these churches? Yes, they all turned away from me. How do you feel? I am good. How can you feel good? Because I know in whom I believed. He owns me and he has never left me. 
And he will tell us, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I t- how can you rejoice? Because he owns me. Are you at peace? The peace of God shall guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. How can you? Because he owns me. And the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Ask. Ask fundamental questions. We are looking for joy outside. I hope that something good will happen today so I can rejoice. God says, you don't need anything good to happen to you. For you to rejoice. It's a state of mind. For all who are owned by God. Because you loved righteousness and hated wickedness, he has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. There are different kinds of oils in the Bible, but there is something called the oil, an anointing of gladness. Above! It's not like what we think. Yes, he was a man of sorrows because of us, but about himself and his father, he was a man of joy. In his relationship with his father, absolutely man of joy. Above, nobody rejoiced over his relationship with God like Jesus did. A man of joy. But when he looks at us, he's a man of sorrows. Not because of him. Because of us. So God asked these questions. Who told you? What have you done? What have you done? So what is actually faith? You know what faith is? Actual faith, ultimately. Wherever faith has entered into your life, that area of life, you have absolute dependence upon God. That is faith. Absolute dependence upon God. You are not the owner. He owns it. Total dependence on God. His sovereignty, you own this, You can do whatever you want to do with it. It's not mine. I give you my life. Now I don't have the burden of maintaining it. You have to maintain it. Just tell me what to do. I take my hands off. Does not mean you will not work. But your work will change. Absolute dependence upon God. Both for direction. For power. For resources, activities, everything, all put together, we call it the will of God. The entire Lord's prayer is about stewardship. Our Father, who art in heaven, your name, your will, your kingdom. What does it mean? I own nothing. You own everything. I own nothing. I own nothing. You own everything. As sonship increases, liberty or freedom increases. It increases. Your outside situation does not really matter. You have liberty. When couples fight, when they come for counsel, I say you want liberty in your marriage. You know what you should do? Stop owning each other. Stop owning each other. Release each other. And steward each other. According to God's word. If you try to own your spouse or your children, I tell you, God will see to that your marriage fails. And you fail as a parent. Because he says there is only one 
honor. Romans 8 and verse 19. And Hebrews 12, 27 to 28. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for what? The whole of creation is waiting for one thing. For the sons of God to be revealed. They know the son of God. But they are waiting for the sons. They include you also. Sons and daughters of God. to be. They are all waiting for them to be revealed. Because everybody walks around like an owner. So they are also confused. Is this an owner or a steward? God says I will reveal one day. You take charge of ten cities. That means the ten cities belong to him. You take charge. You take charge of five cities. Meaning city is always his. You take charge of five. You own nothing. He owns everything. Absolutely important mindset you need to have to take decisions in life. Because the thing is that when we get upset, we act like honors. Jesus got upset. but He never acted like honors. Never acted. Even when his disciples left, he looked at those twelve and told them, do you want to leave? And go. My father owns you. I've come to steward his love. Hebrews 12, 27, 28. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of those things which are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, meaning God is shaking everything. When everything is over, what will remain is what was always his and surrendered to him as his, the kingdom. Everything in my life, that has not been given to him. It will be shaken away. Everything in everybody's life. The shaking that we are seeing. One after another is coming. Now they are warning about another COVID wave coming in from China. Okay, This is not going to go. It's the beginning of sorrows. Why is this all happening? Because God is. It's not for the world. It's for us. Because God did not say judgment begins in the world. He says no judgment begins in the house of God. He's shaking the church. He said, you, you, most of you, he says, are walking around like owners. I will shake and see how much you own. That's what happens to a mango tree. When you shake, mango tree realizes I own nothing. All one wind comes and it everything falls down. And suddenly when something comes, oh, I got you see my card, credit card has this much my money and then one sickness, you come back with nothing. And God says you own nothing. You thought your health was yours. One sickness, everything is gone. I still remember the testimony of that brother. Brother came to me and said, Pastor, I worked in the Middle East for these many years. I worked my guts off. I saved all this money. Then I get a telegram in Mumbai. My father is not well. I come back. After one week, all my savings are gone. I have to go back and slog for another 10 years. Everything that will be shaken will be shaken. So if you don't want anything to fall off when it is being shaken, what do we need to do? Just let it be his. He's the only one who has the power to keep it. So whether it is pestilence, whether it is war, whether it is famine, whether it is all these things bring loss. Famine, lack of something. When the sun took 
ownership and stepped outside the will of his father, which father freely gave him the power also and went out. He started. For a little time, he fled like a shooting star and then lack came in. Finally, he ended up in the pig pen because he took ownership. So when famine comes, when lack comes in your marriage, lack of love, lack of understanding, whatever, or in your home, in your workplace, or you feel it in church, whatever facet you face the famine, you need to understand what God is trying to teach us through famine. There are lessons Jesus is trying to teach. How can you escape when the kingdom is, the whole world is being shaken? How do you escape this? Look at Genesis chapter 47, verses 5 to 6, and then 11 to 12. Pharaoh spoke to Joseph saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. Get this principle very well. Learn from Jesus because Joseph is a type of Jesus here. And this Pharaoh is a type of God. In the dispensation, a type. Okay. Now Joseph has given authority over everything and Pharaoh says, you don't have to ask me anything except concerning the palace, everything you do. Then his father and his brothers, the household, because of famine, is brought to Joseph. Because of famine, they come to Joseph. Now they are entirely dependent upon Joseph. Now Joseph can say, okay, I give you this plot, you go stay there. He doesn't do that. He goes to the Pharaoh, presents them to the Pharaoh, and makes the Pharaoh say what he should do with them. Will you do that? If you have been given complete authority? Will you do that? Check. That's the thing. He's been given complete authority. Yet he presents them to the Pharaoh and waits for from the Pharaoh's mouth to come. Go to Genesis chapter, uh, sorry, John chapter 5 and verse 17. John 5 and verse 17. 5.17. Jesus answered to them, My father has been working until now and I have been working. At that face level, it looks same. He's working, I am working. We both are working. If I'm right, come to verse 19 and then verse 30. If I'm right. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the fathers do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. You know what he's saying? I'm absolutely, totally dependent upon the father because I have believed in my heart. Everything belongs to him. I will watch him do. I will listen to him and I will do it the way he wants to tell. You know what I am? I'm a son. I'm a steward. I'm no longer the owner. He owns everything. Ask yourself, this is the son of God, who everything was created by him, for him, through him. This is what Joseph is doing. He has been given absolute authority over the Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, Egypt is on your hands. Except for my palace, you can do whatever you want. But he takes his family to the Pharaoh and let the Pharaoh decide. He has already decided what to do, Joseph, but he will not make that decision. He will let it come from the father's mouth and then Pharaoh's mouth and then he will work it out. Do you know what a steward is? Our problem is we act as owners, not as stewards. Are we stewards?
30. I can of myself do nothing. Really, Jesus? Really? You can do nothing of yourself? But it said you did everything. He says, no. My father did everything. I just followed instructions. He's the owner. I'm the steward. Why do you saying all this? So that you can understand where does freedom lie? Where does liberty lie? Liberty lies not in ownership. Liberty lies in sonship, in stewardship. That's where liberty lies. I'm just a steward. This body is not mine. We heard from pastor. It's not mine. It's yours. This mind is not mine. It is yours. Everything that I have is not mine. It is yours. You have given it to me for a season. Please tell me what to do with it. It's not mine. Because a day of accounts is there. Why should I give account for every word? Why should I give account for everything? Why should I account for every goods if it is mine? God says it is not yours. It's mine. A day of accounts is set. How do you live? Has an owner or a steward? Verse 11 and 12, Genesis 40, uh, 47. Yeah, 47. Joseph situated his father and his brothers, gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Remesis, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread according to the number in their families. Did you see? When these 70 people, yes, yeah, yeah, when these 70 people came from famine into Egypt where there is famine, but because they were absolutely dependent upon Joseph, famine passed over them. They were no longer owners. Joseph, they were at the mercy of Jesus. And Jesus took care of them. As long as they were honors in Canaan, they starved. They had to keep on making trips to Joseph to get something. That's what we do. We will not give ourselves over to God. We make trips to Jesus in our prayer closet and still hold on to ownership. And God says famine will never depart. You will keep on going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You will face famine in your marriage. You will face famine in your home. You will face famine in your college. You will always be experiencing that lack. You know why? Because you just come and go. But when they left all that and moved and came under complete authority and dependence upon Joseph. Famine passed over them. And he gave them the best. He said, stay here. Still famine is going on. If you go to verse 13, it's interesting. Immediate verse. Now there was no bread in all the land. Bread in the Bible means many things. Yet, Joseph's household is eating plenty. There is no love in any home. But in your home is controlled by love. There is no peace in the land. But you are controlled and ruled by peace. There is no happiness anywhere. But your heart is full of joy. Why? Because you are entirely dependent upon Joseph. You are not an owner. You are a steward. God is steward. Famine has taken over. So that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished. Because of the famine. We are learning how to handle these situations when they come. Who do we learn through? Patterns in the Bible. There are patterns and people who overcame. Now go to verse 14. 
Now there was no bread. Yeah. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt, in the land of Canaan, for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. <laughs> they came and said, Joseph, we are hungry. We have no food. He said, do you have money? Yeah. He said, buy it. I'll give you green, but you have to pay for it. By the time they finished eating, all their money was gone. Because what did Joseph say? You thought you were the owner because you had money. What I will do is I will change your circumstance in your life where you have no money until you realize I am the owner and not you. Because your trust is in your money. Your trust is in your money. So he took all the money. Now they have no money. Trust in money is gone. Next verse. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt, it's when money fails you, you will serve him. Till then you will serve mammon. Money has to fail you. As long as we have money, we are honors. We won't do. We won't do. We won't do. We won't do what God tells us to do. Because we know, I was put away for a rainy day. So when money failed in the land of Egypt and in Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us bread for why should we die in your presence for money has failed. I love it. Why should we die in your presence? Oh Jesus, money has failed. He said, good. I have life. The words of life. Your money has failed you. Good, you have come to me. Next words. Then Jesus, uh, Joseph said, give your livestock and I will give you bread for your livestock if money is gone. If your money is gone, what else do you have? Oh, I have a few cows and a few goats. Give it to me. We all, everybody wants free, 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 free. Only thing free is salvation. Give me your livestock. You're thinking, you know, okay, money is gone. Six months later, famine will be gone. Then I will raise these two cows and these three chickens and four. And I will start my business empire. And he said, oh, you are an owner. Still owner in your mind, huh? You are making all these plans, right? Give me a livestock. Give me a livestock. So he took all the livestock. Verse 17. So they brought their livestock to Joseph. Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle of the herds, and for the donkey. He didn't even spare the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that Let's go to the next verse, 18. When that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord has also our herds and livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Oh, we are hungry, Lord. Please, we have that. We have nothing. No, no, we have our bodies. So just give it to us. Give it to me. Look at the next verse. Why should we die? Buy us and our land for bread and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. You think we own the land? I am the land owner. God said, really? You are the landlord, but I am the lord of your land. 
It is like that prayer meeting that is going on. The church needed uh, half an acre of land. They were praying. So they were all praying. And the man of God came there and said, you're all here. He said, what are you praying for? Oh, no, the church needs half an hour. So we are all fasting and praying. He said, brother, how many, how much land do you have? Five acres. And what does she have? She has four acres. What does she have? Ten acres. What does she have? Fifteen acres. God will never answer your prayer. You all have holding it and you won't give half an acre for the church. And you're fasting and praying, Lord, give us half an acre. Everybody put together has hundred acres. Sometimes God sits there and laughs, not at his enemies, at our prayers. Psalm 2 is different ways. Thus, Joseph bought all the land. The earth and its fullness belongs to God. But God will put us in through such a situation until it all belongs back to him. We'll give it back to him. We will give it back to him. Whatever our heart is stayed on, he will See that we give it to him. Verse 21. And as for the people, he moved them into the cities. Now listen carefully. Most people even sitting here cannot be moved by God. You will not move where God sends you. You will not stand up when God says to stand up. You will not sit down when say God says. You will not go there when God tells you to go there. But he will bring this world to a point where his people will move where he sends them. And that's the purpose of the famine. Three million Ukrainians are all over Europe. And most of them are Christians who believe. They will become God's witnesses in that lands they had spread. But they were not willing to move until war came. He said, now the land belongs to me. Your life belongs to me. Your possessions belongs to me. Go to Poland. Go to Estonia. Go to Moldova. Go across Europe and witness I saved your lives. When I told you in good times you were not willing to go. But if you will not go, I will prove to you I am the owner of the earth and everything that belongs in it. That's what happens. He will move. Move us. Because we belong to God. And this is the son of God. Crying over the Lord and says. Not my will. But your will be done. You can move me anywhere. Heaven to earth also I will come. I will humble myself. Take the appearance of a man. In the form of a servant. Obedient into death. And death on a cross. You can move me from heaven to earth. Earth to Jerusalem. Jerusalem onto the cross. I am movable. Because I am yours. I am a steward. Not the owner. Will we move? Can we be moved? You have to learn the lessons. We want everything to move around us, but we won't be moved. Ask these questions. Joseph did it all for Pharaoh. You know, it's all written. The land belonged to Pharaoh. The people belonged to Pharaoh. The cows belonged to Pharaoh. The horses belonged to Pharaoh. The money belonged to Pharaoh. Everything belonged to Pharaoh. Joseph is sitting there as a steward. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 24 to 28. Now listen, that's exactly what this is. How scripture proves through a pattern what is exactly happening. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. 
He says, I see the rebels. I see in my own children rebels. I will fight you until I have put every rebel in you. And everyone, and when the kingdom is completely a kingdom under loyalty and faithfulness to God, I will take you and give the kingdom to the father. And I will be a steward. The kingdom is the father's, not mine. That's what he's doing. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And come further. Verse 26. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident he who put all things under him is accepted. Who is that? This him is the Pharaoh. The he is Joseph in Genesis 47. God is not under Jesus' feet. Everything else. And then, now when all things are made subject to him, then the son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him that God may be all in all. That's the purpose of the salvation. Happy are you if you are able to look inside and say, Lord, you are all in all. You are all in all. I'm a steward. If you can tell me what to do, I will do it. No qualms. Because I own nothing. You own everything. That's the purpose of salvation. This is what he came to show us. First, God has Father. Behold, what manner of love the Father has showered upon us. Second, the Son as a steward of the Father. He showed it through his own life. It's not in one day. It's a progression. And you should be able to see that progress in our lives. I see a 55. Genesis 47, 23, 24. Doesn't stop there. The story of Joseph. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you. You shall sow the land. Now that everything belongs to Pharaoh, take the seed, go and sow in the seed. And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to the Pharaoh. Four-fifth shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food, for those of your households, and as food for your little ones. Turn to Isaiah, chapter 55, 10 onwards. You will see the spiritual picture. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. What's he talking about? So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. His saw word goes from his mouth like a sword. Destroying every vestige of rebellion in us. And once it has done its work. And we are without spot. Without blemish. We entirely totally belong to God. You know what he does? Verse 12. For you shall go out with joy. Then you will know what joy is. Shall go out in joy. Be led out in peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. All the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And verse 13. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. Instead of the briar shall come the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name. For an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. God is all in all. And we are happy. 
happy as managers and not as owners. There is joy, there is peace. And all of creation that is groaning for the sons of God to be revealed, when they are revealed, they are shouting and jumping. These are the stewards of earth, God's own people. Did you see? The gospel is not complex. This is what Joseph is doing. This is what God is doing. Genesis 47, 25. 47, 25. So they said, you have saved our lives. When we have through the famine, the tests, the trials, the pains, when we have surrendered everything to God, then our eyes will open and we will say, Jesus, you saved me from Myself. Thank you. Thank you for the famine. Thank you for the lack. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You saved me. You saved us. Let us find favor or grace in the sight of my God and we will be Pharaoh's servants. You know what we will say? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for saving me. Thank you for favor. Thank you for grace. You know what? We want to be the father's servants forever. That is why Jesus is called the servant of God. The only begotten son. Before that, equal to the father. God as in God is called the servant of God. Because he says, you know why I am so free? Because I own nothing. The father owns everything. And because I have that heart, the Father has committed everything into my hands because he says, I trust you. Trust you. This is where our problem comes. As I close, First Corinthians chapter 3. I think it's 30. Let's give me, give me one second. Let's go to First Corinthians chapter 3. And then we'll go to that verses. Verse 21 to 23 and then 4, 1 and 2. Therefore let no one boast in men for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. All the problems in the church. Family problem, church problem, problem with Quote problem, you can think about every problem is there in the Corinthian church. He says, you know what? If only you understand everything is yours, you are Christ and Christ is God's. If you only understand God owns everything, you will stop fighting as if you are owners. You know why all this fight happens in homes? Fight happens in churches? Fight happens because everybody thinks he's the owner. If your mentality is of a steward, then you will be very, very careful. I am a steward of life. This person, maybe the maid in your house, does not belong to me. She belongs to God as I belong to God. I am a steward. I am not the owner. We act like owners. But God says, act like stewards. Your spouse, your children, your colleagues, those who work beneath you. Stewards. Look at 4.1. You are Christ. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards, not honors. Stewards of the mystery of, of God. 
Moreover, it is required in a steward, he is found faith. Faithful to what? Faithful to the honor and faithful to the will of the honor. Faithful to the person of the honor. My father. Yes, my father. But you own everything. Sonship does not mean ownership. Sonship means my father owns it and his name is very, very important to me. His will is what I am looking for. That is how the life of Joseph begins. This is the genealogy of Jacob. Joseph came back with the evil report. Dad, these brothers of mine are messing your name up. Hallowed be thy name. Your name. If I do something, what happens to your name? Stewards are worried. Honors are in. I don't care. It is mine. I don't care what people say about me. But brother, it is not about you. It is about God. You don't own this. He owns it. He owns you too. No, I am my own. God says, really? You're not worried about these things. So if we go to Jesus, final thing, Joseph, thank you for saving us. We shall be the servants of Pharaoh forever. Look at Hebrews 7.25 and then we will close with the most beautiful verses in the Bible. Therefore he is able to save us to the uttermost who come to God through him. What does Joseph want to do? He wants to save you. From ourselves. He says, if you keep on coming, I will save you, save you, save you, save you from yourself. So that ultimately you will never be an owner of anything. And a steward of everything. Everything is yours. When? When you are Christ. And Christ owns you. Everything is yours. Because Christ is owned by God. You getting the picture? The liberty of stewardship. And not ownership. Turn to the final verses. Not final, verses for today. Revelation 22. Verses 1 to 4. 1 to 5. Then, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. This is Jerusalem. The peak is Zion. This is the throne room of God. The river is flowing, and there is a street, and there are these trees also, but there are nations in the earth, kings over the nations. The kings shall bring their glory to the city, and the nations still need healing, because they didn't allow God to work in them when they are on earth. This is are for the healing of the nations. What should have been completed here? They are still doing makeup exams over, not for rewards, but to sanctify them. It's not the kind of sanctification we are talking about. There's something that is happening in heaven for the nations. But what about those who allowed God to own them? And there shall be no more curse. The throne of God and the Lamb of God shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. They shall see His face. His name shall be on their forehead. There's one set of servants in Zion who will see God face to face. All will serve God. 
But this set of servants will be different. You know why? Because on earth, they were only stewards. They were not owners. So God says, you will be stewards in heaven too. You will see my face face to face. In the entire household of God, Moses was faithful as a... Therefore God spoke to him face to face. They shall see his face. Their name shall be on their forehead. Right? They shall see his face. His name shall be on their foreheads. And... There shall be no light there. They need no lamp, no light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light. And these servants shall reign. So these servants are kings. He'll say, oh servants, I'm tired. Servant there. No, he will be reigning. These servants shall reign. This is not the thousand years. This is eternity. They shall reign forever and ever. The rewards of stewardship is eternal. It's eternal. Forever and ever. Not even a thousand years. Forever and ever. Because God said, when you walked on earth, you finally got the lesson. You own nothing. I own everything. Therefore, you shall have everything because I have you in its completeness. You can have it. So the kingdom is handed over to Jesus because Jesus said, I do nothing. Without my father. I can do nothing without the father. What he does. I see and do in like manner. Do you know who I am? I am the servant of God. And God says. Because you are that. I have exalted you. And given you a throne. And a name. Above every other name. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. You are Lord. You don't lose with God. Never lose with God. Never lose with God. So this morning, as we stand up to pray, get this and understand where our struggles come from. Learn every day, every day, learn to go to God and surrender. Surrendering is the best thing you can do with God. <coughs> Romans 12, 1 says, In the light of these mercies, brethren, I beseech you, offer your body. In that body is everything. The soul, the spirit, everything is in that body. Offer it. Yes. Don't try to own it. Give it. He won't take it unless you give it. And you will have to give it a thousand times in your lifetime before it becomes fully his. So it's not a one-time surrender. It's daily surrender. And as you keep daily surrendering, you know, as you go to him, he's able to save you to the uttermost. Save you from what? From yourself. From deception. From illegitimate voices. The devil realizes, I cannot speak to this guy. I cannot speak to this sister. This lady, I cannot speak to them. They, they won't listen to my wife. It doesn't matter how sweet I sound. He won't. Whether it is a nice prophecy or a cursed prophecy, they will not receive. Why? Because they have heard their father's voice. They are people under authority. Wherever they go, the first thing they look is to come under, not to rule over. Not rule over, to come under. Joseph was under his father, was under Potiphar, under the prison warden, and always under Pharaoh. Even though he was given complete freedom, yet he did not take unilateral decisions. He checked with Pharaoh. 
even about his own family, the closest to him. He had the autonomy to settle them in Goshen. He said, no, I will take you to the Pharaoh. This is where I want to settle, but let it come from his mouth. It's not mine. I can do it, but I won't do it. That's why Jesus was amazed by the faith of the centurion. Man said, I am a man under authority. If I say go, he will go. If I say come, Jesus said, wow, you sound like me. Because I am a man under authority. My father said go and I left. Father said, sit down. I sit down. My father says, go to the Samaritan today. I go. He says, speak to Nicodemus. I will speak. He says, it didn't matter to whom he sent me. I just obeyed. Because I am a man under authority. I am not the owner. I am just a steward of the life my father has given me. The liberty of stewardship. The bondage of ownership. Ownership. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. This is the basic struggle, Lord. <clears throat> this is the effect of eating from the tree of knowledge and evil. We have become honors. We think and patent everything. This is my idea. This is my house. This is my life. This is my spouse. These are my children. This is my gift. Knowing we own nothing. You are the God who owns everything. The earth and its fullness and the inhabitants thereof, everything is yours. We own nothing. You own everything. Yet you want to give us all things. But he can give you to us only when you see surrender in our lives. If you did it for your son, he will do it for us. If we overcome as you overcame, he told the Laodicean church, you shall sit with my father on my throne and reign with me. There's only one way to reigning. It's to go the way of Jesus. He is the pattern. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Don't get fooled by the devil. Don't get deceived by him. For God is asking you today, where are you? Are you hiding? Are you covering yourself up with things that cannot cover you? And you will ask us the question. Who told you? He will ask us, what is that you have done? Then when we get upset, he will ask us, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? Ultimately, he will turn to us and say, there is your brother. And if you reply like Cain, am I my brother's keeper? We realize we were never stewards. We acted like honors that we could dispose of lives as we pleased. Let these questions ring in our heart through this week. Where are you? With God. Where are you? Far away? Hiding? Did you hear the footsteps in the garden? Whose voice have you been listening to? Who speaks to you? Do you have any authority over you? 
even Jesus, even Jesus, before he could stand his ministry, John the Baptist, the last of the prophets, had to lay hands upon him and baptize him before God would ordain him and send him out to do his will. Whose hands are over you? Who told you? What have you done? Are you accountable to anybody? Then when God does not answer or things don't happen your way, do you get angry? Does your countenance fall? Are you flippant about life? I am not my brother's keeper. On the cross, the only begotten son hung on the cross between two thieves and he said, Father, here I am. Behold in the volume of the book, it is written, I have come to do your will. If you ask me, Father, where I am, I am here at the center of your will, for it is written, cursed is he who hangs on the tree. Father, if you ask me who told me, I will tell you, Father, you told me. Father, if you ask me what you have done, I will tell you, Father, I have done your will. Father, if you ask me, why are you angry? I will tell you, Father, I am angry because of the hardness of their hearts. My countenance has fallen because, Lord, I am weeping over Jerusalem because I know many, many will not make it. If you ask me, where is your brother? I will tell you, Father, I'm hanging here for I am my brother's keeper. Let these questions ring in your mind. Let the Spirit of God bring to remembrance the things we have heard in the past. That we are just stewards. And for a steward, it is meet that he be found faithful. Faithful to the one who owns. Faithful to his words. Faithful to his word. To his will. To his desire. Faithful. And if we are. On that day. The owner. Who has come now after that long journey. To settle accounts. Will look at you and me and said. Well done. Faithful. Good and faithful servant. Well done. Enter into my joy. For you are faithful with a few things. Now take charge of many things. Those were the people who realized on earth we owned nothing. He owned everything. Yet, I have to be a faithful steward of everything he has committed into my hands. My life, my body, my time, my resources, my relationships, my workplace, everything. I have to be a good steward.
as the world goes through waves and waves of famine, of war, of pestilence. Let us through the times of Joseph learn the lessons and give over everything to him. And ultimately we will be able to tell Jesus, Jesus, thank you, thank you for saving us. We will be your servants, father's servants forever and ever. And God will say, you will see my face. My name will be on your foreheads and you will serve with me and reign with me forever and ever. Father, I pray that will be somebody's testimony, Lord. For we are not running a race in vain. We are running a race in purpose. Clearly defined out race before us. Bless us. Bless your people. Let every yoke of the enemy be broken in the name of Jesus. Let every lie, every stronghold of the enemy in our minds be pulled down in the name of Jesus. Brought to the knowledge of God and the obedience of Christ. Not just the knowledge of God, but the obedience of Christ. And then we will be free. And I pray, Father, both. Let people increase in the knowledge of God. And let us increase in the obedience of Christ. And we will know the liberty of the son. For the son abides in the house forever. Not the slave. He comes in and he comes out. But the son lives forever. We want to live with you. And experience the liberty of the son, Lord. And not that of a slave. But that of a son. For this purpose the son of man came. That he might destroy the works of the devil. The lies of the devil. The inducements of the devil. Let it be broken in our lives. For there is only freedom when we are subject and obedient to the will of the Father. There is no freedom outside. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the best of the land, is what the Lord says. Best of the life that Christ has come to give us. And I pray, Father, that would be our desire. And our prayer. With that eh, thought in our mind. Help us to meditate upon it. Let it not depart our mouths. Be careful to do it. And we will be prosperous. Our soul will be prosperous. Wherever we grow. And as Paul said. We will be able to say. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. And I can do all things through Christ Jesus. Who strengthens me. And my God shall supply all your need. Oh Father. The liberty of the son. A man is experiencing in the prison. Which Caesar could not experience in the palace. The liberty. For the way the spirit is Lord. There is liberty. Teach us to walk in that liberty. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Commit all your children. It's a new week into thy hands. Here, everywhere, I speak healing, I speak deliverance, and I speak, O oh Lord, that obedience of Christ into our lives. We receive it by faith. Thank you, thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen and amen. God bless you.